Jones, Australia's leading voice. Well, good evening. Thank you for being with us at the beginning of a new week. Plenty happening, but don't forget you can listen to the podcast of the show every morning at six o'clock on your favourite podcast platform, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon Podcasts and more. Just search Alan Jones, click the picture of me and there I am. Don't take fright. <laughs> a terrific program for you tonight. But look, forgive me, for, please forgive me at the outset for making a tennis comment. I talked about Serena Williams last week. Then she bowed out to the Croatian-born Australian, Alia Tomlanovic. The standard of tennis was phenomenal. My view is Serena Williams may not retire, knowing she can still play like this. Tomlanovic was beyond outstanding. She's won again today and is in the quarterfinals. So if she maintains that level of play that she exhibited against Serena, she could win the whole thing. So can Nick Kyrgios. He has beaten the world number one today and defending champion Daniel Medvedev easily. Kyrgios now playing according to his rich talent. Perhaps only Rafa stands in his way. Well, moving scenes today in the federal parliament as the independent member for Fowler, Di Lee, who beat Christina Keneally, as you know, for the seat. Di Lee recalled in her maiden speech her quote unquote terrifying journey from Vietnam by boat and how she felt she would die on the journey to Australia. Di Lee's family fled by boat from Vietnam in the 1970s when she was just a child, she said today at the time, she felt she would not survive. And I quote, I remember the moment when I thought we'd die, when a huge storm hit our boats. I remember my sister and I hanging on for dear life. I remember how my face almost hit the ocean as our boat rocked so hard from the storm. Unquote. Di Lee, you heard her first, remember, on my program. Now a federal MP. She mentioned the 70s. Well, polls today are very flattering for Labor and the Prime Minister. I'll have something to say about that shortly. But I'll tell you this, there is industrial mayhem ahead if Labor and the unions start talking about comparative wage justice or calling it another name. That is, a cook or a hotel worker in Longreach, for example, would get paid the same amount as a cook or a hotel worker in Melbourne or Sydney when there's no relationship between the cost of living in one geographic area, say Longreach, and the cost of living in Sydney or Melbourne. This is what they're about. And of course, the preposterous behaviour of Tony Burke, who should know better, writing to the Fair Work Commission, flagging legislative reform to limit employers' ability to terminate enterprise agreements. Now, the Albanese government haven't introduced legislation on this, and the Transport Minister in New South Wales, David Elliott, said the letter was an attempt to sway the outcome of a looming hearing between the New South Wales government and the rail union. Basically sending a message, said David Elliott, to the unions, keep up the strikes, Labor has your back. As David Elliott said, they haven't even turned the lights off at the job summit and Burke is doing the bidding of the union. Unquote. All of these issues are never off limits on this program. I'll be looking at that in some detail later in the week. There's plenty coming up. Stay with me. It's all here on ADH. Nothing is woke. It is ADH that you are watching. And I'm Alan Jones. Look, there are some absurd headlines today in relation to Peter Dutton and the Federal Coalition. One says, honeymoon continues for Albanese as Dutton's nightmare grows worse, unquote. The argument being that the coalition vote in this poll, news poll today, is at 31%. That's only 31% of the voting public want the coalition. But hang on a minute. On May 21, fewer than 33% wanted a Labor government. Now, admittedly, the Prime Minister says he has a mandate because he can command the numbers on the floor of the House of Representatives without the support of minor parties, and that is true. And we're told that Prime Minister Albanese is enjoying a, is enjoying a post-election wave of approval. Now, there is no doubt, rhetorically, Anthony Albanese has done very well. His dress, his appearance and his language have been very conciliatory and unifying. That's fine. What about the detail? The electorate aren't as impressed as the headlines would have you believe. The Labor vote is at 37%. That is, almost two-thirds of the electorate don't want the Labor Party. I'm saying forget the polls. That's what Dutton must do. 
One significant figure in this poll about Dutton is that 22% are uncommitted. He could scoop them up if he shows courage and difference from the direction of the Labor Party because we should not be governing by polls. I have said, as very early times, this is going to come unstuck for Labor. The voice is a divisive issue. And Indigenous people are saying to me, what do they mean by a voice? I wasn't consulted, they say, and I'm not represented. Well, the other issue which will cause the collapse of this Labor government is this mistaken view that they can get to 82% of renewables by 2030, 82%. As Bjorn Lomborg wrote in the last week about this so-called climate change, quote, it's wildly overblown in the media with every weather event turned into a televisual catastrophe. He says last year, the newspapers overflowed with stories of devastating hurricanes, yet 2021 had the fewest hurricanes globally since satellites started consistently monitoring the world in 1980. Writes Bjorn Lomberg, hundreds of deaths in Europe from heat waves topped the news for days, even though the data shows everywhere many more people 4.5 million globally, die from cold temperatures, often because of a lack of heating, exacerbated by high energy prices, unquote. Reitz Lomborg is actually in, believes in climate change, but he's totally opposed to the policies addressing the issue. Lomborg writes, the costs of the climate and environmental policies pushed at establishment talk fests are quickly becoming unbearable, unquote. Well, Think of Albanese and Bowen and the Labor government. When Lomborg says, quote, for decades we've been told that ending fossil fuels is cost-free or even beneficial. Now we're starting to see the immense economic and security costs of such untethered promises, unquote. He mentions, of course, the World Economic Forum and the bankruptcy in Sri Lanka, quote, egged on by elite campaigners and the World Economic Forum. That's that great reset mob. He says Sri Lanka was urged to go organic. The government banned synthetic fertilisers, which come from fossil fuels, in April last year. This is Sri Lanka. Predictably, he says, and we've talked about this before here, food production collapsed and the Sri Lankan currency defaulted, unquote. Well, the polls today have Albo looking terrific. And the headline about Dutton says, the nightmare grows worse. Well, Peter Dutton, I'm saying this to you. I've been around a bit. Do some homework. Have the political guts to separate yourself from this elitist nonsense. Lomborg is a visiting fellow at Stanford University, Peter Dutton. Read his latest book, False Alarm, How Climate Change Panic Costs Us Trillions. This is the title of his book. Hurts the poor and fails to fix the planet. Unquote, Peter Dutton. There's your manuscript. Forget this nonsense that there's a consensus about net zero. And while you have opposed the 43% by 2030, you too have talked about 100% renewables by 2050. Now, if you're the mirror image of Labor Peter Dutton, but with a different name, you'll go in the same direction as Morrison. Lomborg says about these elite lefties in the Labor Party, people like the Teals, quote, the elites seem to double down on climate and environment, and the Netherlands and Sri Lanka are warnings of what will come. Net zero, listen to this, he says net zero will be the costliest policy the world has ever embarked on. The price tag, he says, just for paying for renewable assets and infrastructure alone will be more than $5 trillion US dollars every year for the next three decades. $5 trillion every year for the next three decades, according to McKinsey. He says this equates to more than one third of the global tax intake, unquote. This is why you can forget the polls. Honeymoon is still on, but net zero is the path that Albanese and Bowen have chosen via legislation, cast in stone. But consider this, every year the EU has to pay $100 billion just to subsidise and support renewables. But if the European Union persists with the net zero commitment, the price tag could explode to more than one trillion annually. We're in this game. The point is made that the EU vice president and longtime climate action advocate Franz Timmermans admits that many millions of Europeans may not be able to heat their homes this northern winter. He says this could lead to, quote, 
very strong conflict and strife. And Lomborg says, and I quote, when people are cold, hungry and broke, they rebel. And quote, if the elite continue pushing expensive policies that are disconnected from urgent challenges facing most people, we need to brace for much more global chaos, unquote. Well, I say to Albo and Bowen and the Teals, enjoy the polls, they aren't going to last. You are heading for the political cliff and Peter Dutton, turn back and don't go with them. Well, here's a simple question to start the week. Why are fundamental rights seemingly old fashioned and therefore in the great reset, we can trample on them. Individual rights, free speech, freedom of association, freedom of movement. Remember all that in coronavirus? Killed and buried. May 3 this year was World Press Freedom Day. Yet the Australian WikiLeaks publisher Julian Assange is imprisoned in UK's harshest prison awaiting extradition to the USA. If extradited, he faces a 175 year sentence for ex allegedly exposing war crimes. All the largest press freedom and human rights groups across the world have urged the UK to release Assange immediately and demand America end its prosecution. The slogan is, bring him home, journalism is not a crime. Well, Anthony Albanese reportedly told a Labor caucus meeting in February 2021, over a year ago, that, quote, enough's enough. And he can't see what's served by keeping Mr. Assange incarcerated. Anthony Albanese. But now he's in government, forget it. Julian Assange was born in Townsville. He now resides in Belmarsh Prison, imprisoned without any conviction. His health continues to deteriorate. He's just turned 50. He's recovering from a stroke. He's been in prison for 13 years. The United States has never made a case, nor has anyone, that the information published by Julian Assange put anyone's life in danger. As my friend Adam Crichton wrote from Washington last year, the pursuit of Julian Assange has given the likes of China, Azerbaijan and other authoritarian countries the opportunity to mock the US over its commitment to free speech. Remember, all the major US news outlets republished what WikiLeaks had published without any charges laid against them. And remember Joe Biden last year had a summit for democracy, meant to showcase the importance of human rights and democracy to the world. And the president said America would set up a fund, quote, to help protect investigative journalists against nuisance lawsuits designed to prevent them from doing their work, unquote. Presumably someone in some administration was worried about being embarrassed by what WikiLeaks published. But the fear of embarrassment and humiliation is what keeps governments honest and efficient. As Adam Crichton wrote, sunlight is a powerful disinfectant. Nothing Assange did was illegal in Britain or Australia, both of which have shamefully facilitated his ex extradition and probable imprisonment. But as Adam incisively wrote at the end of last year, Assange's great tactical mistake was losing much of his left-wing support in the Democrat Party after WikiLeaks published a vast trove of emails a few months before the 2016 election that caused embarrassment to Hillary Clinton and supposedly helped Donald Trump get elected. As Adam Crichton wrote, the Assange case has sifted out those who genuinely believe individuals have rights from those who think government is a tool to destroy your political enemies. For now, Assange's fate appears sealed by inertia, hypocrisy and timidity. Albanese is under pressure from many, including his own government MP, Julian Hill, the member for Bruce, to honour a commitment that he gave in opposition when, as I said, he declared the incarceration in the UK of Julian Assange, pending his extradition to the United States, had gone on long enough. And Mr Albanese in opposition wanted Julian Assange freed. Julian Hill is a member of the bipartisan Bring Julian Assange Home parliamentary group. And he said, I hope one of the first acts of our new cabinet will be to speak up for our fellow citizen and demand the US government drop the shameful prosecution of Julian Assange. He said the government must stand clear and firm on its principles, including the principle of press freedom. Well, the Albanese government was elected on May 21. My understanding is all ministers have been told not to meet with the Assange team, only with Attorney General Dreyfus, and that is a non-meeting because it's only with his staff. Here is a real test, therefore, of Anthony Albanese's credibility. Enough is enough when you're in opposition, but when you get into government, head for the hills. Julian Assange has been in prison without any conviction. He's an Australian. Whatever your opinion might be, he's one of us. 
He professionally is an Australian publisher. He's not accused of hacking. He's the first publisher in history to be charged with espionage. And he faces 175 years in prison, all for engaging in regular journalistic activity, basically exposing what he believed was political corruption. In fact, one strategist on the Clinton side of things, a bloke by the name of Bob Beckel, actually called for Assange to be assassinated. The Republican Senator Rand Paul has said, the founding fathers would have protected WikiLeaks at all costs. And it's time we inherit their spirit. What has to be said is that Julian Assange didn't hack the US records, nor did he assist Chelsea Manning to hack the US service. She already had access to the documents in question. Indeed, Chelsea Manning took full responsibility for obtaining the documents. All Assange and WikiLeaks did was passively receive information, then assist in protecting Manning as a source and publish the cables, just as the New York Times or The Guardian or other media organisations do. Indeed, Chelsea Manning has said, quote, although I stopped sending documents to WikiLeaks, no one associated with WikiLeaks pressured me into giving more information. The decisions I made to send documents and information to WikiLeaks were my own decisions and I take full responsibility for my actions. But because Julian Assange published, as did other media organisations, he's currently in a maximum security prison in the UK. During the trial of Chelsea Manning, it was confirmed that no US personnel were put at risk or harmed due to the publications. The Assange case has been going on for over 10 years. Understandably, respected psychiatrists have identified Julian Assange as a person at high risk of suicide. On one occasion on his way to court, he was handcuffed 11 times, strip searched twice, and his case notes were confiscated by prison authorities. In 2010 and 2011, WikiLeaks published material provided by Chelsea Manning, who was born Bradley Manning, a former United States Army soldier, who was convicted in 2013 of violations of the Espionage Act after leaking material to WikiLeaks. She was imprisoned from 2010 to 2017, but then her sentence was commuted by President Obama. In other words, she was pardoned. Not so Julian Assange. Barnaby Joyce has made a very valid point that America, which has been pursuing Mr Assange for years, quote, would never hand over one of their citizens in the form they are asking the UK to hand over one of ours. Said Barnaby Joyce, if he is deported, he should be deported to Australia. Barnaby Joyce is right when he said, Mr Assange never stole any files. Bradley Manning did. He said Mr Assange did publish them, but that was not a crime in Australia at the time. Mr Assange was not in the US. Well, that's a background and it's detailed, but I don't apologise for it. Gabriel Shipton is the brother of Julian Assange and he joins me. Uh, Gabriel, I thought I'd just explain all that because it just doesn't, none of it makes sense. What is the latest, Gabriel? Well, Julian submitted his perfected appeal points. Um, it's a very, very broad appeal. This is his last chance uh, in the UK. Um, he submitted that to the UK High Court. Uh, but all this time, he remains in prison. Um, the US has a opportunity now to respond to those appeal points. Uh, so they have about eight weeks to do that. So um, Julian will remain in this maximum security prison where this is his fourth year in there. Mm. Um, he's been there for three and this is his fourth year. So uh, this whole time as this legal, endless legal proceeding goes on and on, um, Julian remains, you know, next door to him, there are murderers on both sides of his cells. Uh, he's, he's, not, he's an innocent man. Uh, he's a gentle genius, a publisher. Uh, he's never even had a traffic fine, um, yet he finds himself in this mm. situation for exposing uh, the war crimes of the United States. Right. Gabriel, your brother set up WikiLeaks in 2006. He's a publisher. The material was given to his company by Chelsea Manning, who's taken full responsibility for the documents in question. All your brother did was passively receive information and, of course, protect his source. Isn't this what all media organisations do? Yeah, that, that's right, Alan. Uh, it's all, what all good journalists should be doing is um, receiving classified information and publishing it, you know, if it's in the public interest. So he's just done exactly uh, what yeah. all the partners that Absolutely. he partnered with did. So and, and Chelsea Manning said, partnered with the... Yeah, Chelsea Manning said the documents, she sent the documents to WikiLeaks. She said that was my decision. Now, have you met with American officials? We've been to the, I've been to the States five times over the past uh, year and a half. I've uh, been meeting with Congress people, uh, both sides of the aisle, people like um, 
Thomas Massey, uh, you know, people from the Progressive Caucus as well. There's there's a growing movement in the in the, in the U.S. now uh, who people who can see the threat that this uh, prosecution uh, poses to their First Amendment. Absolutely. So uh, there is a growing movement there. Yep, First Amendment. Now, Albanese, where does he stand? Having said the matter's gone on long enough, we want Julian Assange freed. Have you spoken to the new government? Uh, I've only, sp- as as you said earlier, I've only spoken uh, to. Uh, the chief of staff of of of, of the attorney general, um, you know, Albanese went into this election saying enough's enough, and he doesn't want, see what purpose has been served uh, by Julian spending more time in prison. Um, and it's been a hundred days now, you know, and Julian's still in prison. He's been in a prison uh, for a hundred days. So, you know, when is enough enough? Um, there's Albanese, an expectation Al- in the electorate. Albanese hasn't spoken to your family. No, we haven't received any communication from him. We've, we've all that's been said publicly is that, uh, you know, diplomacy is not done with a loud hailer. But you know, what, what, what are they doing? They just tell know. us. We were just asking them now to tell us what they're actually doing. Well, you're dealing with a pack of gutless wonders. I mean, Albanese. Without going into detail, I mean, ten days ago, Julian filed this perfected grounds of appeal before the High Court of Justice, administrative court. So that's pending, but. We're coming back to Australia. Albanese basically said before the election, enough's enough. After the election, you get the impression that someone from Albanese's office, someone there has said no minister is to talk to Assange's family except the Attorney General. And he hasn't spoken. He sends his chief of staff. That's right. And and when we did speak to the Attorney General's chief of staff, they they repeat the line of the old government that this is... uh, Subjudice. It's before the UK courts, and we can't interfere. So, uh, and also saying that we have we can only uh, do something once Julian's extradited. Now, expert witness testimony has said if extrad- extradition was to become imminent, uh, Julian would likely take his own life. So, so that's the sort of situation that we're being presented with. That will only help uh, after Julian's dead. This is beyond belief. This is beyond belief. I mean, basically, for our viewers' sake, the magistrate's court refused the extradition application and that was then appealed to the High Court and the High Court found against the Magistrates Court, ordered the matter to go back to the Magistrates Court to exercise the right to jurisdiction, send it to Priti Patel and Priti Patel signed off on all of this. I mean, it's beyond belief. I mean, the bloke was dragged out of the Ecuadorian embassy. He's been in custody since, what, April 2019, accused of conspiring to hack But Chelsea Manning has said that all Julian did was to receive information, which is what all organisations do. And she, the person who hacked the documents, was Chelsea Manning. But he's been accused of what? Conspiring to hack government computers. Chelsea Manning, who hacked the documents, has been pardoned. Now, inside, Mm. I say to our viewers, inside our passport, it's a little print written that the passport means that you will be, I think I've got a copy of this for your screen. There you are. Have a look at that at the bottom afforded every assistance and protection of which he or she may stand in need. There it is, inside your passport. This man's an Australian. Just before we go then, Gabriel, has your brother received that assistance? Not, not at all, not at all, Alan. It's, minim- it's as if he's lost his passport, actually. That's the sort of assistance uh, that Julian has gotten. Um, back, back when Julie Bishop was foreign minister, uh, they, they got him a new passport, and that's, that's the end of it. It's, he's been treated as, as if he's lost his passport. I mean, this is a worldwide uh, farce, this case. The CIA uh, spied on him when he was in the embassy, spied on his meetings with his lawyers, spied on the meetings with his doctors. When he was taken from the Ecuadorian embassy, uh, all his legal documents, all his preparation was uh, confiscated and handed to the FBI. So in what world is this a sort of fair legal proceeding when the, yeah. when the opposition has all your meetings with your, privileged meetings with your lawyers recorded and all your legal documents? It, it's, um, you know, as you say, it's staggering. Staggering. Look, we'll leave it there. I'll try and talk to Penny Wong's office and some people down there, but... Uh, we've got to keep going with this. This bloke's made a commitment before the election, enough is enough. He's, uh, Albanese has got to act on that commitment. And if he doesn't act on it, he's got to explain why. You hang in there, Gabriel, and all the best to your family, and I'll keep in touch with you. Thanks, Alan. That's Gabriel Shipton. He's the brother of Julian Assange. Who would walk in those shoes? 
Last week, I demonstrated to you the extent to which the FBI, in overt support of Joe Biden, refused to take seriously revelations contained in the Hunter Biden laptop. Remember, the FBI briefed social media. The story about the laptop was called Russian disinformation. Listen again to what Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, had to say about the FBI and the Hunter Biden tapes. There was a lot of attention on Twitter during the election because of the Hunter Biden laptop story, the New York Post. Yeah, so you guys censored that as well? So we took a different path than Twitter. Um, I mean, basically the background here is the FBI, I think basically came to us, uh, some some folks on our team, and was like, hey, just so you know, like you should be on high alert. There was the, we we thought that there was a lot of Russian propaganda in the 2016 election. We have it on notice that basically there's about to be some kind of dump of of um, uh, uh, that's similar to that. So just be vigilant. It's unbelievable, isn't it? It's going to be some sort of dump. You know, be vigilant. All the stuff about Hunter Biden's rubbish. Now the concern here is we Australia have serious security concerns in this region, not just Chinese expansionism. Would a Biden administration come to our aid or are they compromised by links that have never been revealed between Hunter Biden, his father, the president, and China? Now, the fundamental reason behind Pelosi's visit was to reassure free Asia that America will militarily defend Pacific democracies like us, despite the failure of the same America either to deter Russia from invading Ukraine or adequately defend Ukraine after it was invaded. Behind the scenes, as you know, Biden did not declare his support for the Pelosi visit. Then you get the FBI raid on Trump's home. And now the headlines because Donald Trump has branded Joe Biden an enemy of the state. President Biden had argued in a speech in Philadelphia that President Trump and Republican supporters represent, quote, an extremism that threatens the very foundations of our republic, unquote. Biden is desperate. The facts are starting to encircle him. The New York Times last month reported a poll that 64% of all Democrats are not even waiting for the midterm elections. They want their candidate in 2024 to be someone other than Biden. 94% of those polled under 30 want someone other than Biden. America is suffering as we are from high energy prices. Under Trump, America was energy independent. There's been a lot of talk about Biden running down America's strategic petroleum reserve, the world's largest supply of emergency crude oil. There are four storage sites in Texas and Louisiana designed to alleviate significant oil supply shortages in times of major geopolitical events or natural disasters. Joe Biden faces massive pressure from, quote, the price hike at the pump. But now it's clear that the Biden administration has sold nearly six million barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve to an entity tied to the Chinese Communist Party. Three crude oil contracts worth hundreds of millions of dollars to Unipec America, and that is the US trading arm of the Chinese state-owned oil company, Sinopec a firm with ties to Hunter Biden. The most recent sales to Unipec came from an emergency drawdown of the US stockpile initiated under President Biden. I repeat, Unipec is a firm with connections to Joe Biden's son. America nationwide is reeling from elevated gas prices and President Biden is selling oil reserves to foreign adversaries such as China a policy at odds with US energy and security needs. As the Republican Clay Higgins from Louisiana said, and I quote, this is an abuse of the strategic petroleum reserve. Sending US petroleum reserves to foreign adversaries is wrong. Another Republican said, it doesn't make sense that we're using our already depleted energy supplies to help China build up their own strategic reserves, unquote. Yet here is the administration selling oil reserves to an outfit, Unipec, whose parent company, Sinopec, has been linked to the president's son, Hunter Biden, through a state-backed Chinese private equity firm, BHR Partners, and Hunter Biden was a founding board member for BHR. As the Republican Byron Donalds of Florida said, 
If Joe Biden couldn't have bungled this energy crisis anymore, this latest development of sending our strategic petroleum reserves to a Chinese oil firm connected to Hunter Biden reaches a new low. The US shouldn't be doing deals with firms connected to the president's son, unquote. So Biden's attacked Donald Trump and Biden's overt defence of the FBI must be read against the fact that after four years, the FBI have still not completed an inquiry into the Hunter Biden tapes. Why? Well, America at this time, facing a world energy crisis, is draining its own strategic petroleum reserves to serve an entity tied to the Chinese Communist Party. Former President Trump has called Joe Biden an enemy of the state. But if because of Hunter Biden, the leader of the free world has unknown direct or direct connections with China, then it is legitimate to ask, would America under Biden come to our aid against Chinese expansionism? The answer seems obvious. Let's go to Pauline Hanson. And no wonder in the poll today, the level of One Nation support has increased significantly. If those in the media and in government would only listen, Pauline Hanson is always talking about the things that they are talking about in the pub, the things that matter to people, not the rubbish that goes on there in government. Pauline joins me. Pauline, thank you for your time. The summit is over. What changes today do we see as a result of the summit? Well, Alan, I can't see any changes whatsoever. It was a talk fest to, to talk up the unions and Labor Party. I don't see what they have achieved anything there at all. What they spoke about and putting money into the TAFE colleges, I totally agree with that. We should have, and I've been speaking about that for years, to actually open up the TAFE colleges for those kids, especially in rural and regional areas. I'd like to see agricultural colleges also opened up. But it's very important that we do that. They have announced also, now that's what I've been talking about, TAFE colleges. I've also spoken about the pensioners being able to work. That's what Albanese announced. I spoke about that well before the last election. Pensioners, aged pensioners should be able to work. But I wouldn't put a limit on it, Alan. Let them work. Let them go and earn whatever they have. They've mm. worked all their life. Mm. They have entitled to the age pension. Mm. Let them work as much as I've they want to. I've made that point here many times. I've made that point many times. Let them work and keep their pension. And they're reliable. They're yeah. experienced. They're, you know, you can, you, they, won't, they won't be lying in bed in the morning. And it's very good for them and good for the nation. And why? That could have been done today. That could have been done, couldn't it, with a stroke of a pen today? Yeah. <clears throat> so it's it's. I'm pleased to see that Peter Dutton's taken it up. It's been my policy. I've been pushing for it for the last six months, and it's good to see. The whole thing about the the talk fest is about the business councillors agreeing with the unions to bring workers from overseas. Alan, that won't cut it for the people here. The people here are lining up for you know, nursing homes, schools, healthcare, hospitals, doctors, the whole rest of it. If you're on a good income, you can afford it. You've got those connections. You can go and get what you want. But the average person out there has to struggle to get these services. It is not going to um, answer their concerns when you're going to bring in over 200,000 people into the country, migrants. We don't have an, the infrastructure, the water, the housing, the nursing homes, everything to provide for them. So I think this is a big mistake, but big business are pushing for it because they're going to sell more product That's right. and they're going to make more money out That's of it. Right. That's what it's and about. And we can't even accommodate We can't accommodate the Australians who are here. So, I mean, if we can't get accommodation with the Australians who are here and we're going to lift the permanent immigration intake, where do these people live? Where do the kids go to school? The congestion in the streets? Are they going to properly assimilate within the rest of the Australian community. I mean, just coming back to your other point, though, about participation of Australians already living here, I think was your words. Uh, with a stroke of a pen, coming back to these pensioners, you could allow pensioners into the workforce without their earnings affecting their pension. And that's common sense. They're skilled, experienced Correct. and reliable, aren't they? And there's thousands of them. I've got the older um, person working for me in my office, Ellen. I like the older person in the late 60s, 70s working in my office. I always have done, even in my fish and chip shop. I like the older worker. They're hard work and reliable. So you and, give me a job? Uh, I think they're fantastic. You give me a job? You got a job there for me? <laughs> uh, Ellen, 
any time, mate. I think you'd cut it with me, no problem. But now listen, hang on. What about, I mean, this is very serious, and again, Pauline Hanson's gone on about this. You won't hear this from government. Mark Latham's talked about it here. He's the leader of One Nation in New South Wales. What about those shut out of their jobs by COVID vaccine mandates? Now, it was announced last week, you've made this point, the staff working in private health facilities in Queensland were no longer required to be vaccinated. So if it's okay for health workers, why not for everyone, including teachers? What is happening to teachers in Queensland? Exactly right. They should be allowed to work. Anyone should be allowed to work if they want to work, regardless of whether they've had the vaccine or not. Here we have cleaners who can't work because their companies are saying, you must have the vaccination. They work by themselves, truck drivers, other people in, in organisations, council workers. These people, even councils, are forcing them to have the vaccination against their human rights. And doctors have lost their jobs and can't work in organisations or That's by themselves true. because they're not vaccinated. The whole thing is so wrong. Mm. It's been forced on us by governments, by um, politicians and academic bureaucrats who are pushing Correct. their own agenda, which yeah. I think stinks. It does. But you know, Pauline Hanson is 100% right here. I understand it, Pauline, you're the Queensland Senator, that Queensland teachers are being docked up to 18 weeks pay as a disciplinary Correct. measure for not being vaccinated. What country are we in? Well, that's right. I actually, at the moment, I'm reading a book about what happened in Russia in 1917 and uh, communism took over and what happened in um, East Germany as well. So it's controlled by the people, by the governments, and that, that's exactly yes. what's happening in this country. Yes. And people must understand it it's slowly control of the people mm -hmm. by the governments and telling you how to live your yes. lives and what to do. Yeah. Unless people start standing up and voicing their opinions, you're going to lose your freedom of speech, you're going to lose your democracy. That's Correct. And we're going to be taken over by these bureaucrats who have no idea and who want to control people's you lives. Mean, I'm that, opposed that, it. That's what Pauline is saying. I've got to repeat, in Queensland, it seems as though they've taken every step to isolate, segregate and punish non-compliant teachers. That is, they're not vaccinated. They're the enemies of the state. Now, many of these teachers have lost everything as a result of these mandates. I mean, please feel free to get in touch with me or get in touch with Pauline. Pauline, I understand that Catholic education, Catholic education did not allow dissenting teachers to return to work. I think it just sacked them. I mean, I, I know of individual priests and nuns and charity workers coerced into compliance and the few who stood their ground were excluded mercilessly. So a teacher decides not to be vaccinated, vaccination does not come with zero risk and it can't be proven safe and effective. So why can't someone, Pauline, rationally, their own choice, weigh up the risks and rewards for themselves? That's right. Alan, what I'm working on now is a private member's bill to present on the floor of Parliament, hopefully not this sitting, but it'd be the next sitting of Parliament, that it uh, states that companies or businesses cannot impose mandatory vaccination on its workers. It's against the, the, it'll be against the law. Hopefully common sense will prevail in this place that they have no right to force people to have a medical procedure that under the Constitution, it states it's not allowed. 51, section 51, 23. A of our constitution says that the federal government cannot oppose, you know, people have medical procedures yes, against will. Even doctors should not be forced to give this to, to people um, without asking them, are you giving this, having this of your own free will? And the other question is, if they're being coerced or bullied yeah. to have it yeah. due to keeping their job, yeah. it is illegal. They so, cannot do it. So are you, you're pushing, I understand, I mean, we've just had a Royal Commission announced into cosmetic surgery, for God's sake. You're after a Royal Commission into the handling, the whole handling of the coronavirus. You've demanded, yes. have you not, one nation, a Royal Commission, yes. because we talked here, it was an unprecedented event, disrupted the lives of everyone in Australia. And you said you want a Royal Commission. Where are you on that? Well, it's nice to see that Albanese is leaning towards having a Royal Commission, but I think he's he's kicking the can down the road, Alan, and he's going to take his time to have this because there is disquiet within the public about what's happened with this COVID. Too many people lost their jobs, their livelihoods, their businesses, yeah. the impact it's had on their our freedom. children and future generations. Their freedom. And their freedom, closure of borders, how they... Um, 
there has been an extension of power by these state and federal politicians, which I think is unreasonable, and it needs to be through a Royal Commission. But, Alan, it depends on the terms of reference. Yeah. It depends but on what But aren't you just interrupting you, Pauline? I understand you are going to release, are you not, One Nation, a preliminary draft yeah, of that Royal of Commission. Reference. Yeah, of terms of reference. Yes, go on, sorry. Yes. We're going to put up our terms of reference, what needs to happen there. But it comes from the public. The public have to start realising they must contact the members of Parliament's office and push for this Royal Commission if they want their freedom for now and into the future and the future generations. You cannot allow governments to control their lives and lock them down when it suits them without the the science that backs it up. And this private members bill I'm putting up, Alan, is about employers. It, like Qantas is now forcing people to actually have the flu jab. Not just the COVID, but now they're forcing people to have the flu jab, which I was told by one of the pilots that's walked away because he would not have the jab. And this is the Pilots Association that's taking on um, Qantas Group. So, so just, uh, just summing up, flights. Pauline, so you're saying, and, and Mark Latham has talked to me about this as well, so One Nation are on the same page here, but uh, are there thousands of people still not allowed to work because they're not vaccinated? Correct. Yes, they are. And that's in the airline industry. That's why you've got a lack of staff yeah. from turning up to work. Yeah. And that's delay in airplanes, flights have been, have been cancelled, time frames, the whole lot, right. because they can't work because they have another job. And this is Qantas. This mm. is Joyce. That's why it, you've got such a disruption in this country. Yes. Well, I mean, it's in other industries as well as I get correspondence about all that. Pauline, we'll leave it there, but this Royal Commission thing, stick, okay. to your gun, stick to your guns on all that. Great to talk to you. You're talking the language that the people outside want to hear, not that esoteric stuff that you hear in these talk fests. Good to talk to you, Pauline. There she is, the national leader of Thanks, One Alan. Nation, Pauline Hanson. Recently, a news poll conducted exclusively for the Weekend Australia showed that in Victoria, Labor's primary vote has fallen only slightly since the 2018 election, while dissatisfaction with the resurrected Liberal leader, Matthew Guy, has increased by seven points. In fact, Labor holds a 56-44 two-party preferred lead. On these figures, the coalition in Victoria will be wiped out again. Daniel Andrews' satisfaction rating is 54% higher than at any time, sorry, 54%, which is higher than at any time before the 2014 and 2018 elections. Yet only 32% of voters were satisfied with Matthew Guy's performance. Labor won 55 seats at the last election, the coalition 27. The redistribution has handed a net gain of one seat to Labor. The Liberals are legitimately asking, does the leader Matthew Guy stay on? I'll be looking at this later, not today. There are 14 key seats that Labor is at risk of losing on November 26, but it would appear the coalition has no chance of winning them. So what the polls are saying is that in spite of the impossibly undemocratic behaviour by the Andrews government during coronavirus, Daniel Andrews' star is in the ascendant. Something doesn't add up. Let me explain why. Remember the 28-year-old pregnant woman, Zoe Buller, who was handcuffed and arrested in her home in September 2020 in Ballarat, arrested in front of her two young children for creating a Facebook post just urging people to protest against the draconian lockdowns in Melbourne. This was a 28-year-old working-class woman doing nothing more than drawing attention via Facebook to the tyranny and denial of freedom embodied in the Daniel Andrews lockdowns. She merely created a Facebook event calling people in Ballarat to protest against the lockdown of Melbourne by the Andrews government, which by that time had been in hard lockdown for 99 days. She was not trying to incite people to violence. She didn't break the law. She just wanted people to speak out against the lockdown because she cared for freedom. Ballarat at that point was in stage three lockdown, the same level of lockdown that Melbourne had been in when the Black Lives Matter protest was organised by career activists. The same Victorian police who arrested Zoe allowed the 10,000 strong Black Lives Matter protest to go ahead. Zoe found herself confronted by several police officers who proceeded to arrest the young woman, still in her pyjamas, in front of her two little children, she was pregnant, in front of her two little children for the alleged serious offence of incitement. One policeman, I have to say, 
subsequently resigned from the force in protest at the police behaviour. In a press conference soon after, the Assistant Commissioner in Victoria, Luke Cornelius, stated he regretted the optics of arresting a pregnant woman, but he was, quote, absolutely satisfied the officers acted appropriately and Zoe had engaged in serious criminal behaviour, unquote. You dope. Zoe had merely urged people to speak up for freedom peacefully. That was incitement and serious criminal behaviour. I talk on this program to Daniel Wilde from the Institute of Public Affairs every Thursday. They're unapologetic in their defence against the odds, I might add, of our freedoms. Their then Executive Director John Roskam, who Fred Paul will be interviewing tomorrow night about this, got in touch with Zoe and assisted in running a donation page to pay for the two years of legal expense. John Roskam was present last Tuesday when the Victorian police withdrew the charges at the Magistrates' Court in Ballarat, proving that Victorian police were doing things they never should have done in Daniel Andrews, Victoria. Zoe had finally made Victorians realise they were on your own. The establishment, police, politicians and the media was silent. It took two years for Zoe's case to come to court. Victoria Police withdrew the case without offering any explanation whatsoever other than it was not in the public interest to pursue the case. So in a Victoria run by Daniel Andrews, with massive approval ratings, Victoria Police and the Andrews government can charge an individual with, quote, serious criminal offence and then drop the charges and later claim it's not in the public interest? As Chetna Mahadik from the IPA has asked, how can prosecuting a serious criminal offence not be in the public interest unless it was not a serious criminal offence in the first place? Unquote. The media reported on Zoe's charges being dropped, but not a single news media has called for an inquiry into how it has come to this, which prompts the question, is this the new norm for Victoria and Australia? As Zoe said, standing before the Ballarat Magistrates Court last week, I have no regrets. I'm glad I stood up for people's human rights and freedom, unquote. It should be pointed out that the whole machinery of human rights in Australia, including the Australian Human Rights Commission, with a budget of about $30 million, could not put out a media release supporting Zoe and her right to free speech, her right to protest, her right to free movement, and her right to protection from cruel, inhuman and degrading treatment. All those rights are enshrined, enshrined in the Charter for Human Rights. But as Chetna Mahari, from the IPA, Institute of Public Affairs, has said, I tried to see who among our leading career activists and bureaucrats, lawyers and politicians, put out a strong statement against the violations of human rights or that of the millions of other Victorians who lost their right to free movement for months on end, with the exception of David Limbrick of the Liberal Democratic Party. I couldn't find any. Can anyone seriously suggest that what I have been talking about, the Great Reset, where the nation's values and democratic structures are being stolen in the head. My thoughts are with Zoe Buhler, a then 28-year-old pregnant woman who was a living metaphor of the mess we're in. I'll have more to say about Daniel Andrews later in the week. Before we go, I want to touch on a very dangerous political movement, I'm calling it a political movement, that's captured Western governments over the last few years. I call it scientism. Science, not scientism, is about debate, transparency, questioning, and persistent, perhaps even radical scepticism. Its intellectual proposition is quite simple. Science, you have a hypothesis. You say, for example, the sun comes up in the West. Well, you collect evidence, and then you see whether any of the evidence contradicts the hypothesis you started with. And based on the evidence, you then finish by making a conclusion about the hypothesis, that is, whether it is correct or not. That is true science. But then there's the opposite. We have scientism, an ideology that demands that the punter trusts the quote-unquote scientists who've been appointed as government and corporation-backed experts as if he or she is a new-age priest. Take this bloke Flannery, for example, the bloke who told us, quote, the rain that falls won't fill our dams, unquote, even though our dams are now as full as they've ever been. According to the proponents of, quote, scientism, we can't question any of Flannery's science on human-induced climate change, that would be heresy, according to the political and corporate elites who made him the Australian of the year. 
You'd be, con- you'd be condemned as a climate denier and then labelled as some sort of corrupt apologist for the fossil fuel industry. The evidence of this phenomenon is abundant. Recently, the Australian Academy of Science sent a submission to the digital industry group that represents Facebook, Google, Twitter, TikTok and others, basically arguing that these media giants must take strong action against disinformation. Programs like this one. This is disinformation. And the so-called disinformation involves, as they say, climate denialism. The Australian Academy of Science takes stronger action against disinformation. Funny this. The head of the Australian Academy of Science is Anna Maria Arabia, who happens to be a former advisor to the new Prime Minister Albanese. To Miss Arabia, I say this, Miss Arabia, have you read a 2022 scientific study, long name, titled Arctic Glaciers and Ice Caps Through the Holocene, a Circumpolar Synthesis of Lake-Based Reconstructions? Forget that from the Department of Earth and Planetary Sciences at Northwestern University. Its findings are damning. According to these real scientists, their compilation of Holocene lake-based glacier and ice cap records spanning the Arctic shows that one, 50% or more of the studied Arctic glacier and ice caps were smaller than they are at present or even absent between 12,000 and 10,900 years ago and 10,000 to 3,400 years ago. Two, 80% or more of the glacier and ice caps were smaller than they are today or absent entirely between 7,900 and 4,500 years ago. In other words, the propaganda about the Arctic melting ice due to climate change is rubbish. Ice caps were smaller a few millennia ago. Just as sea levels are now 120 metres higher than they were 20,000 years ago. Just as carbon dioxide makes up a mere 0.04% of the atmosphere. And only 3% of that comes from human activity. The activist scientists practising scientism at many of our universities would say, censor all that. One must ask a simple question. Why don't they want you to know the truth? That's it from me tonight. Thank you for your company. Fred Paula is up next. I can't be with you tomorrow night. So Jake will be the outstanding replacement again. I'll see you Wednesday night. You're watching ADH. I'm Alan Jones. Good night.